time. Wish we had more of it. Can do nothing about it. It is one of those things that is constantly being demanded of us. Um, more and more, more efficient with our time, more and more pulled from us. It is, um, it is one of the areas of our life when we talk about margin that is probably, I would put it in the top three categories of in the Western culture of our day that is the most fragile, uh, most demanded, uh, probably most neglected and probably even is the one that we have the hardest time managing margin with. We cram more and more and more and more and more into our lives uh, to try to make more and more and more of our lives, I guess. Time is invisible, uh, but yet it's also very visible. We look at it constantly. It is abstract, but it is also concrete. There are deadlines to meet. There are appointments to make, things like that. When you, you think about this afternoon, when the Kansas City Chiefs beat the, the New England Patriots, good, I got a better response in the first gathering than that, all right? So uh, do I have any Patriot fans even in the house? Oh, okay, got one, way over here. Got maybe a faint, I, I dare not uh, confess it over here. Uh, any any uh, Saints fans in the house? All right, a few, okay. Any Rams fans? Oops. Anybody just doesn't care? Oh, that's most everyone. All right. But after all, okay, so whatever, you're going to see a lot of time management going. There's a 60 minute game on the line. There's thousands and millions of dollars and fans on the line. You better believe all of those seconds matter and they're counted. And you can come down to the last second and the last second can decide whether or not you make millions or you go home, uh, for the, for the, for the Super Bowl game or you're in the Super Bowl game. All 3,600 seconds of that 60 minutes will matter because time matters. And so even though it's elusive and even though we can't see it, we can also, we live in it. We live in the constraints of it. We manage, what the, what the announcers will say at the end of the game is the team that's ahead will be trying to manage the clock. Listen for that phrase, because if they have the ball, they're going to manage the clock, try to run the clock in that. Now, sometimes we manage the clock and sometimes... Sadly, the clock manages us. I don't know who you are. If you're a manager of the clock or the clock is managing you in your life, in your life with margin, do you have margin? Are you able to say we come to margin or we come to time and we talk about how time flew by. We talk about how time slips through our fingers. We talk about how, how, how time slips through our, our, our fingers uh, like the sand through an hourglass. We even have a song in the, in, in the 1970s. Time keeps on slipping, slipping, slipping into the future. So time is a very valuable commodity. And in our day and age, I think it's more of a commodity than it ever was. We are buying for time and attention. And sometimes we only get seconds, if not split seconds. And I, in so many ways I can illustrate that, whether it's an online media or it's marketing and all of you who live in that world every day of their life, you know how valuable that nanosecond is and you live and operate off of that. But here's the thing about people with margin is they have learned how to make time count. They don't just count the time. 
They've learned how to make time count and to evaluate, is this really the most value add to life, to, to my life, to my big picture, to my envision? Okay, let me give you an example. Again, outside the church, uh, in a founding father of Ben Franklin, okay? Every time you get a $100 bill, you look at his face if you don't know him, all right? That's who he is, okay? And um, Ben Franklin, though, is more than just a $100 bill guy. All right. He is the guy who helped found our constitution, our, our, our Declaration of Independence, our Constitution, helped pin it, uh, helped be a part of that. He was the first diplomat to France during the time of War of Independence, uh, uh, getting France on our side. Lots of things. He was a postmaster general. He was an inventor. He was an author. There's so many things this one guy did, and not the modern era of technology and efficiency tools that we've got to carry us through life. He was Benjamin Franklin was very efficient with his time. In this magazine, I was reading this past week, Fast Companies, he was, the, the, the author said that he is the productivity master. This guy could produce more in, an, in a day than most of us do in our modern day of technologies and advances. So let me just show you this. From his journal, he recorded what he did with his day. And so you measure your day up next to this journal. This has been Ben Franklin's uh, journal. He rose at five in the morning to rise, wash, and address the powerful goodness. Now, I don't know who powerful goodness was to him, but I do know this about Benjamin uh, Franklin is that he was not a professed believer. He did not confess Christ. But So whatever the powerful goodness was to him, that's who he confessed. And then he contrived the day's business. Interesting. Goes on and he talks about talk, take a resolution of the day. So he set a resolution, lived intentionally about that day, uh, to prosecute the present study and, and, and breakfast. This is from his journal. That's why this, little, uh, this high English is not exactly our, our language, okay? But notice in those first hours of the day, the tremendous amount of intentionality about that day. Okay, then he goes to work. And then from that 8 o'clock through the 11 o'clock hour, okay, he is on task. And it said in this article that he would work between 60 to 90 minutes spans, okay? And then he would get up, walk around, uh, have a sip of tea, whatever he would do. He would go about, and then he would go back to work. He was doing something that psychologists tell us today about the cycles of our, of our brains and that we can work consistently for about 60 minutes and then we have to move on to something else and come back to that. Maybe up to 90, you can maybe stretch it out to 90 uh, minutes. It's a cycle uh, in, inside of our brain. So that's how he would live out his day. Then for a couple hours for lunch and some overlooking of his own accounts and then he'd go back to work and work till through the five o'clock hour. From six o'clock on, notice what he does. He put things in place. Clean up after yourself, kids. Benjamin Franklin did it. Put things in place. Supper, music, and div- or diversion or conversation. No television or anything like that, obviously. And the examination of the day. Now, there's a lot in there, but I want you to focus on two things. How he contrived the day's business. And at the end of the day, there was an examination of the day. Interesting little thing there that before... Benjamin Franklin would start his day. He would say, what good shall I do this day? And at the end of his day, he would say, what good have I accomplished? What have I done good this day? What an interesting way, what an intentional pathway to live out your day. Again, if we're talking about margin, if we're talking about time is one of the greatest uh, things that we struggle to have margin in, and if we're going to do that, then we're going to have to be intentional about that. And again, everything that we're talking about in this margin series is hopefully putting you on the right path. Margin, as we've called it around here, is margin is the space between 
the load and our limits. We put a lot on us, but we only can carry so much. And a a third leg of that stool is the Lord's leading. We cannot do more than what God's called us to do and to do it in grace and truth. And that's just something that we just need to, to realize. There's a lot of things you can do with time. You can use time. You can literally just live your life one for one. Your life, you live it, you, li- you live, you live 50, 60, 70, 80, 90 years, and then you die. That's it, one for one. You can live that kind of life. Or you can waste your life. Okay, now I'll let you determine if you're wasting your life or not. Uh, you should do some deep diving into your own soul and ask whether or not you are contriving your business uh, and you are examining your business at the end of the day and ha- what good have I done today and, and how well did I live out my day and, and, and that intentionality. And I promise you, Fortnite and how well you're doing at your game of Fortnite is probably not exactly impacting the world for better. Okay, think about it. Well, how well your fantasy league is doing is probably not the highest good. Now, I'm not saying I'm against fantasy leagues. I've done it. I've done it, and I'm done away with it. You know, think about it. It is a fantasy league. If you want to live a fantasy life, do your fantasy league. Again, that's, uh, that's your, own, your, your own thing. I'm, I'm not dogging on anybody. Social media. I've got all the social medias that you've got, okay? And plus, you probably have more. So, or I, I might have more than you. So whether you do social media or you don't do social media, real, reality is, is that the highest good for your life? Now, interesting thing is, if you have the iPhone, and I'm sure there's a way on the Galaxy or some of the other phones, that I get a report every week. Get on Sunday mornings. Why it sends it to me on Sunday morning, I have no clue. But I get on Sunday mornings and it says basically how I spent my time this week. This is not my phone, so I'm not confessing my phone uh, or, or my data usage. But literally, you can go to your settings, go to time on the screen, and you can check yourself. It's convicting. It's very convicting. The amount of time I spend in social networking entertainment, productivity, it's not far off of that. And I go, wow, am I wasting my life at this? Um, I can invest my life. That's another way. I want to live the investor's life. I like the way, and rightfully, we honor him by quoting from him, Martin Luther King Jr., his birthday we recognize tomorrow. Life's most persistent and urgent question is, what are you doing for others? So when you're plotting out your life, ask yourself that question because people with margin have learned how to make time count and they don't just count the time. Ben Franklin, if I go back to him one more time, is that lost time is never found again. Why? Because it never comes back. It never changes. It never circles back around to us. Once it's gone, it's gone. It's the only commodity, money increase, cost of living, everything, education, every other value in life. We've improved ourselves physically in some ways. In some ways we've digressed in that way. But we can improve in so many ways and grow so many areas of our life. But we cannot, 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 never have since Adam and Eve been able to change the 24-hour clock. You get the same 24 hours that Adam Eve got. You get the same 24 hours that Ben Franklin got. You get the same 24 hours. What are we going to do with the life that we have? Because life principle said it to you week one, said it to you again today. You have enough time. I have enough time every day to do God's will with grace and truth. 
If you have your Bibles, let's find the book of Ecclesiastes. I want that to just sit with you for a moment, that I have enough time to do God's will with grace and truth. That means I don't have to be crazy hurried where I lose the temper with the kids and the dogs and the, and the spouse. I don't have to uh, go to the ends until I'm spent and I have nothing left to give. Uh, I, there must be something that needs to be brought into checks and balances here. Now, when we go through Ecclesiastes, and we're three weeks in now, we're three weeks in, chapter three in, there's 12 chapters, it's not going to take us 12 weeks to go through Ecclesiastes, and we're going to speed it up here in some, some points. We're going to slow it down in some other points. We're going to spend a couple of weeks in some chapters. So it's going to take us a couple of months to get through this, but let me just say this, if we're going to have margin, it's not going to happen with a pill. It's not going to be a quick fix. It's not going to be three sermons and out. It's going to be something that we're going to have to dig deep, go along and dive into our souls and to see how well we are about this. Now, if you've been reading Ecclesiastes, as a number of you have through this, you kind of get depressed. Okay, I don't know about you, but I kind of get depressed because everything's vanity, he said. And so well, what's good is there? And so you kind of get into that kind of mode. But really, I don't want you to hear that. I want you to hear, because what he's doing is there's different ways of teaching. There's this uh, pedagogy uh, way of teaching where I literally teach, uh, as I, I'm teaching a child. And he using, is using uh, andragogy, a form of teaching, where he's actually asking questions. So if you think about it, we're going to read through the Ecclesiastes, and he's going to ask more questions than he's going to give answers. You may read through Ecclesiastes and come out of it with more questions than when you go into the book of Ecclesiastes. But what he's trying to do is he's trying to get you to go deep. He's trying to get you to go wide. He's trying to get you to go long. He's trying to get you to examine yourself. And that's exactly where he's taking us into the depths of who we are because we become greater the deeper we go. Okay, a verse that I'm memorizing right now, I don't have it down exactly, so I'm going to read it to you. Proverbs chapter 25, verse 2. He says, it's the glory of God to conceal things. Now think about that. God plays hide and seek. He sometimes hides things. It's the glory of God to conceal things. But it's the glory of the kings to search things out. I want to be a king. I want to find truth. I want to dig into life. I want to make the most of life, and I want to make life count. That means it's not going to be spoon-fed to me. And if you're coming for a spoon-fed message, this is not the series of messages for you. If you're coming to do some deep introflection, introspection, excuse me, and really kind of dive deep into who you are and to really kind of dig out some pieces and maybe rearrange the pieces of the puzzle, then this is the right series for you. All right, to create some space, but it's going to, you're going to have to do some heavy lifting in this. You're going to have to ask yourself some hard questions in this. And that's why we put it out there again, time audit or margin audit. Do you have margin in your life? Have you evaluated that? If you've not done the hard work, don't expect the good results. Again, it's the glory of God to conceal things. It's the glory of King to search things out. I want to search things out. So start with that margin. Dive deep into you, who, who you are, what's going on, where, what's right, what's wrong, what's missing, what's confusing in your life. Okay, fill, fill it all out. Then what I did this past week is I went over and I did my IDP. Every one of these, you can just go on our website. It's all free resources out there. You can start writing out your game plan to move into the future. So now that I know where I'm missing some areas of my, in, in my life, I want to now go over here and start making some course corrections. My intentional discipleship plan is thus. 
Write it out, work it out, work it into your life. Because if you're going to see the life change that you really want to see, I really want to see, we're going to have to make changes. And one of those is time. Let's look at the very first verse. Verse 1, in everything, there's a season. And for every matter under heaven. Verse 1, Ecclesiastes chapter 3, verse 1, for everything there is a season. And every thing under heaven or under the sun. All right. There's a time for everything and we've got to figure that part out. So when we're talking about managing the clock as they're going to do in the football, in the football games today, as we're talking about managing our life and the clock of our life, as we're talking about this, we need to talk about time and understand how it operates and functions and how, how can we manage these realities of time and seasons and epics that we go through. And I want to spend a lot more time on the front end of this than I do on the back end. So please listen carefully. There's three management, time management realities that we live in. One is we live in the reality that time happens to us. We're going through life and we think we've got the bull by the horns. We think we've got life figured out. And then all of a sudden, something happens to us, hard jolts us, moves us to the side, puts us on the sidelines. All of a sudden, our dreams are not dreams anymore. They're more become nightmares. And what do you do in those situations? Life just comes at you and knocks you down, punches you in the gut. It's the faithful spouse who wakes up one morning to find out that the other spouse hasn't been as faithful. At that point, time happens to you. It's the natural disaster that puts your family with everything living the American dream to all of a sudden having the American dream swept out literally by wind and natural disasters that time happens to you. It's your five-year plan that you have for your career and life and vocation that all of a sudden is reduced to five minutes. When you're not given a cake, but you're given a box and you're not walked out the front door, you're walked out the back door. And it wasn't anything you did wrong. It was because we have to reorganize. That all of a sudden, time happens to you. It's the routine doctor's appointment that you're just making just because it's that time of year that you got to go do that. And all of a sudden, that routine doctor's appointment isn't so routine. That time happens to you. And you reach that, that moment in time. And time stands still, but yet time is bearing on you. And, and all of life and times are, seem like it's out of control. All of a sudden, that you thought just five minutes back here was in control and going in one direction. Now it's now not so much going in that direction. And you think everything's out of control. And then we have to realize it's beyond our control, but it's never out of God's control. And that gets really hard because that's a nice Sunday school answer. But in reality, what's that look like? And there's some verses I'm going to read that may disturb you, that may encourage you. I don't know. But Amos chapter 3 verse 6 says, Does disaster come to a city unless the Lord has done it? God's in control, even in the disasters. Isaiah 45 verse 7, I form light. I create darkness. This is God speaking. I make well-being and create calamity. I am the Lord. 
who does all these things. Now, we don't have a mean God. I'm not trying to paint a picture. There's this mean God up there, and he likes to punch on us. He likes to inflict pain on us. He enjoys it. There's the reality that this cosmos is existing in, in all of it, but God has never lost control over any of it, even though I may not have control over what I want to have control over. I have to think that whenever young Solomon or Solomon is writing this, he has to think back to daddy and daddy's writings in the Psalms. And I read Psalms and I, I get a lot of encouragement because I find that when I read the Psalms, David and I, I I'm, I'm with David. I've done Psalm 32 and I didn't confess my sins and my body was wasting away. I've done Psalm 51 whenever I confess my sins and he restores my joy and renews my life again. I've done uh, Psalm 6 when I felt like my body was wasting away. I've done some of those. 40% of the Psalms are lament Psalms from David. One of those Psalms, Psalm 31 verse 15, it says, this is David speaking my times are in your hand. Basically, David was saying, I don't have control over this. God, this is in your hands, in your control. My time, my times are in your hands, God. I want to go back to verse 1. For everything there is a season and a time for every matter under heaven. Now, when you come to this passage, we're going to come and we're going to read the most popular, most quoted passage in probably all of Ecclesiastes. I've heard it at every occasion, good, bad, and indifferent. Funerals, weddings, and I haven't been to a bar mitzvah. I was going to say a bar mitzvah. But child dedications. You, re, you, 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 you see it all because all of life is written here. There's 14 antithetical statements that are made side by side. And if you take 14 and you double it because they're antithetical statements that are made, there's this couplets of statements that really they're 28 different seasons of life or experiences in life or emotions in life or things in life that we may go through. And here's what I want you to do when I'm reading through this, even if you don't have a full-on definition of it, I want you to describe and identify. I want you to identify where you are. There's a time to be born. There's a time to die. There's a time to plant. There's a time to pluck up what is planted. There's a time to kill. There's a time to heal. There's a time to break down. There's a time to build up. There's a time to weep. There's a time to laugh. There's a time to mourn, there's a time to dance, there's a time, uh, a time to cast away stones and times to gather stones. A time to embrace, and by the way, that word embrace is the idea of a husband and wife coming together for the very first time physically. There's that beautiful synergy, there's that beautiful experience. There's a time to embrace, so he gives the highest of the highs, and then he comes over, and there's a time to refrain from embracing. It's a time to seek and there's a time to lose and a time to keep and a time to cast away and a time to tear and a time to sow and a time to keep silence and a time to speak and a time to love and a time to hate and a time for war and a time for peace. And you can see this ebb and flow that's going on here, this, this coupling of back and forth, back and forth. And he said, there's a time for all of this, all 28, if you will, seasons. Where's your season? What life is what time is happening to you right now? 
And not all of them are good and not all of them are bad and not all of them are, are, are great. But here's the reality. And don't let anybody tell you otherwise that if you become a follower of Jesus, that everything is going to go up and to the right. That you will not have these bad seasons. You will not mourn. You will only laugh. And there's some, man, there's some churches, there's some ideas, there's some, there, there's some televangelists out there that try to communicate that. That's just a lie. Because Jesus himself said, he causes the, his son to rise on the evil and on the good. He sends the rain on the righteous and the unrighteous. So how am I supposed to make it through this when life is coming at me? And there's different seasons, and you can see these different seasons. These, there's the, I, I want to call it the, the spring season. When there's new life. When there's birth, when there's planting, when there's healing, when there's building up, when there's laughter. Who doesn't want to live in that life, in that season, all the days? Everybody wants that. He mentions them all there. I want to live there. But notice he said there's a time to heal. That presupposes that there was brokenness beforehand. Because you cannot heal until you're broken. You cannot be whole until you have realized you're not whole. It's like when Jesus said in the Sermon on the Mount, whenever he talked about, hey, happy are those, happy are those. You remember that? I talked about that last week. Happy are those. The very first one is happy are those or blessed are those who are poor in spirit. For theirs is the kingdom of heaven. You have to be bankrupt before you can appreciate the fullness of God. So there's this, there's this healing that happens and you come into that springtime and oh, the, the air is nice and the windows are open and the, the breeze is blowing and you can't get outside and get enough of it. It's a wonderful time. We all want to be there. But then there's summer. And summer comes and there's a time to pluck up and there's a time to break down. And there's a time for war and there's a time to cast away. These are the trials and the testings. You ever gone through a hot summer, draining heat? And again, these are my compilations. You, you put together your compilation. These are the best ways I could try to make sense of these 28 different scenarios, if you will, bringing them all together, the pluck up and the, and the, and the tear down and the cast away. It's hard, this hard season. Nobody wants to live in this season. Sometimes we don't measure this by a stopwatch either. You measure it by a calendar. You measure it by a long season that becomes tough. I really believe, if I looked back, and I've done this reflection for the past month now, I really believe that I'm coming out of a two-year drought, a two-year summer, that I really feel like God's been hoeing on my hardened soil. Hoeing, and when a hoe hits the ground, that dusty, hard soil and breaks up the rock of pride. That was the big rock. I'm not saying I'm Mr. Humble now, but I'm saying that God has taken me through that season to break up some of that pride in my life. And you think, man, okay, good, get me out of that summer season as fast as I can. But then there's autumn. There's a time to die, there's a time to kill, there's a time to weep, there's a time to mourn, there's a time to tear apart, there's a time to lose, and there's a time to hate. You think summer's bad? Look at, look at autumn. There's nothing alive. It's been a drought. Everything's falling, everything's dying. This is a hard season. 
And sometimes the seasons don't always go in the same order that our seasons go in. Sometimes you might be in this season, go back to this season, then go to this season, skip over a season. But whatever season you find yourself in, this death and loss season could be the loss of a job, loss of a dream, loss of a home, loss of a marriage, loss of a the loss of health. You find that season and it's hard. Solomon, nine different times. Chapter 1, chapter 2, chapter 3, chapter 5, chapter 6, chapter 8, chapter 9, chapter 12, talks about death. Death and dying. I can remember standing. I was 25 years old, pastoring my second church. I can remember standing at a casket of a stillborn child, and the casket was no bigger than that. And here I was, standing here, supposed to give all the answers to what this family was going through in the loss of that child. What does a 25-year-old know? Well, I can tell you this. I don't have any better answers at 25 than I do at 50. It's just a hard season. It's just a painful season. And that's why at seasons like this, I thank God that I got a church. I thank God that I've got a faith family. As Paul said to the church in Rome, he said, Hey, weep with those who are weeping and rejoice with those who are rejoicing. I thank God that I have a family to walk with. And if you don't have a faith family, boy, you need to get one because you're going to go through an autumn. I don't know when it will be. But you need to have invested and poured yourself into a part of a family. Eventually, pray to God, you'll hit winter. I think winter. Winter sounds worse than all the other. No. There's a gathering time, an embracing time, a seeking of warmth time. It's silent. It's silent, but it's reflective silence. It's a restful silence. It's sowing together what was lost in the previous season. It's love. It's peace. Our family yesterday, Lori and I now, we just enjoyed the house together and the fireplace going. It was, it was good in a warm home with love. When you go to that rest and reflect time, it can be a restoring, rebuilding time from the inside out. Go through that season with joy. You never want to waste a pain. What pain has God allowed you to go through? Maybe that pain happened when you were a 12-year-old little kid and you're now 24 or you're now 54 and you never dealt with that pain. Whatever that pain is, it was a time in your life. And say, Mike, why do these times happen? Why does that darkness happen? It's a broken world we live in. Why does God allow it to have It's a broken world that we live in. But I can tell you this. Again, I said what I said in the beginning. I may be out of control, but God is never out of control. Hebrews 13, 5 says that he will never leave me nor forsake me. Psalm 23, verse 4 says that he will walk with me through the valley of the shadow of death. 2 Corinthians chapter 12, verse 9 says that when I don't have enough strength, his grace is sufficient for me. His grace is sufficient for me. He will get me through. Psalm 31, verse 15, we read it a few moments ago. Notice this, my times are in your hand. 
The next words, rescue me. Rescue me, God. Rescue me. When, when time happens to us, what do you do? You trust God. You just trust God. I, I, I can't give you when it's going to end. I can't give you a timetable. I can't, I can't, I can't, I can't. I can't give it to you. But hey, trust God in that season. I think about a, the prophet Habakkuk when he said, even though the fig trees have no blossom and there are no grapes on the vines and though the olive crop fails and though the fields lie empty and barren, and even though the flocks die in the fields and, and, and the cattle barns are empty. Man, I have nothing left in the bank. I'm broke. I don't know how I'm going to make ends meet. I don't know how I'm going to move ahead. What does Habakkuk say? Say it with me. I will rejoice. In, say it with me. I will rejoice in the Lord. It's not going to stop my worship. It's not going to stop my rejoicing. I will rejoice in the Lord. I will be joyful to the God of my salvation. The, the sovereign Lord, he's never lost control. He's, not on the, he's never stopped being on the throne. The Lord is my strength. He makes me sure-footed as the deer able to tread upon the heights. When time happens to you, trust God. The second reality, and I will spend far less time on these next two, is time happens through us. When time happens through us. So I can't do anything about sometimes when time's happening to me, but I can make myself available for God to do his work in me. For time and work and his working through us in our circumstances. Again, I need to see, verse nine, says the gain that, has the work, what gain has the worker had from his toil? Now don't get lost in toil as being the nine to five job. It could be anything you're doing, spending energy on, living life, raising kids, navigating the storms, all the toil you spend, all the energy you spend in life. What, what good is it out there? What have I seen the business that God has given to the children of man to be busy with? And then notice this next statement. He has made everything beautiful in its time. Would you say that phrase with me? He has made everything beautiful in its time. What did I say about time? Time happens to you. Time also happens through you. When God is doing his masterful work, what is he doing? He's doing a beautiful work, an awesome work, a work that maybe you don't see it happening I think about Ephesians chapter 2, verse 8 and 9, where it talks about, for by grace we save through faith. It's not of ourselves, it's a gift of God. Not of works, lest any man should boast. It's all what God does in our lives, isn't that beautiful? But the very next verse is one of those that we don't read very much. Verse 10 says, and we're his workmanship. But I like this translation. When it says that we are God's masterpiece. See, a lot of translations say it's, we are his workmanship. And I used to think of a, a carpenter and a tools and saws and sawdust flying through the air and, uh, and uh, uh, maybe splinters or calloused hands or trying to form a, a piece of furniture. That's what we are. We're a chair for God or we're a table for God. And then I did a word study on this word masterpiece, workmanship. And it's actually an artistic phrase. We're a piece of art, and God is crafting us. 
And you know one thing I, I don't know much about art. I'm, I appreciate art. But one thing I haven't learned about art, there are no artist wants their art to be, ma- to be copied. And nothing that an artist will do will ever be the same as what the artist has done. Every piece of art is unique to that time and that season and that piece and that moment. God is doing a beautiful work in us, making us his masterpiece so that the work is beautiful. See, most of the time, it's, the, it be, it's a mess before it's a masterpiece. God majors in messes so he can make masterpieces. What's he doing in you? What work is he doing in you? I, I, I debated long and hard about, about even sharing what I'm about to share with you because I don't want it to appear as if I'm talking ill of my family because I love my family, both sides of my family, but I grew up in an imperfect family, much like you grew up in, much like you're raising your kids in, and we raised our kids in. But our imperfect family was an imperfect family in the sense that there was a divorce. There was multiple divorces. And the consistency of a father figure was not there. And that was painful as a child growing up. But I honestly and awkwardly tell you today that I thank God for my mother and her faithfulness and her love and her commitment to be the mother she was to me. And I have a greater empathy, not sympathy, for hurting families. I'm a better pastor because I went through that. I'm a better dad because I went through that. He takes messes and makes masterpieces. When time happens through you and God is doing his beautiful masterpiece through you, guess what? You see God. And that's a beautiful thing. When time happens to you, or excuse me, is happening to you, you just trust God. When it's through you, you see God. He starts beginning to show himself. And then time will happen in you or in us. And when it happens in us, what does that mean? Well, there's something unique about our creation that's not like any other creation, not like any other tree, plant, animal out there, not like the, the oceans of the lands. And when you read Genesis chapter 1 and chapter 2, you see that there's this unique thing that God does in his creation. And, and when he does it, he, he, he kind of capstones it with humanity. And he does something with humanity that he doesn't do with the trees and he doesn't do with the beasts and he doesn't do with the birds. He doesn't do with anything else. Is he makes us in his image. The imago Dei of God. The image of God. That we become image bearers of God. And I don't even in all my theological studies don't even fully understand the image of God and what we bear. And what we've marred because of sin alone. But there's something else that is so beautiful that he does with no other bit of creation. And you can read it in Genesis chapter 2. Is he breathed into mankind the breath of life. Now again, theologues from 
sea to shining sea have talked about. What is that? I land on it the fact that he breathed into us a spirit, an eternal existence that will be forever and ever. And whenever I come to Ecclesiastes, I see maybe, maybe, maybe he's right. Maybe that's what he was doing. Because if you look back over history and over time, you find that people throughout the times, anthropologists' evidence suggests that every culture has, has a God-given innate sense of the eternal. And that this world is not all there is. Randy Alcorn says, and you go on and you study the histories of anthropology of, of man and you find the Australian Aborigines pictured heaven as this distant land beyond the western horizon. That the Finns of years gone by thought that it was a distant island afar off in the east. The Mexicans, the Peruvians, and the uh, Polynesians believed that, it, that, that, that they went to the sun and the moon after The Native Americans believed that in the afterlife, the spirit would hunt the spirit of buffalo. The Gilgamesh epic and the ancient Babylonian legend refers to an embalmed uh, resting place where the heroes in the hint of the tree of life. The Egyptians, when they died, they would put them in, they would mummify them and they would put them in tombs and coffins and, and they would put a map that would lead them to the everlasting life. For mankind has always had this awareness of the eternity. And this is what we have to understand in our day and age of, of science and, and rectifying. There's some of these things we can't put our finger on, but it's true. It's just like time. It's abstract and it's concrete. But when you come to this verse, what does he say? Also, he has put into, he has put eternity into man's heart. Every single man, woman, child in this room today has something put into their heart. And it's called eternity. What's that look like for you? What condition is that space of your life, that time of your life, that epic of your life? Martin Luther lived by the edict that he had two days to live. Today and that day. That day was the day that he would be with the Lord that he would stand before the Lord and give an account for his life. He had today, and he only lived in today, but he also had that day that he was living his life for. And I think that's where we have to come back today and say, where are you at with your time? Where are you at with eternity? Do you know Jesus today? Do you know God today? Do you know the God that puts, puts this in your heart? If you're here today and you think you're talking about margin and getting margin in your life, listen, if you... if, if, if you, If time's going to happen in us, we need to experience God in time, in our hearts and in our lives. How does that happen? You got to connect with him. How do you connect with him? Thank you for asking. Through Jesus Christ. In Jesus alone. Mike, why are you so bold with that? Can I connect with God on my own, my own way, my own pathway? Try it. I'm going with the one that says there's one God and there's one mediator between God and man. It's the man, Christ Jesus. I'm going with Jesus. I invite you to join me.
If you don't know Jesus today, I invite you to say yes to him. That's where it all starts. Forget the margin of time. Forget the margin of all the rest of life. If that doesn't happen in you in this place, in, in your heart of hearts, in your home, I don't, nothing else will matter. So we're going to give you space today to find that time to examine your heart. Would you bow your heads with me? If you're here and you can't say to number one, Jesus is in my life. He is connecting me to God. He is filling the eternity of my heart with his presence. Then right where you're at, you just say to Jesus, Jesus, I need you. I want you. I need you. I give my life to you. Whatever that means, I now Jesus, give myself to you. And you may be here today and say, Mike, I've done that. I've done that. I, I'm there. I just, I, I just, I don't, I don't know that my life has been being lived for him. Life right now, time is rushing over me. Maybe you need to trust him today. Maybe, maybe today you've not allowed him to do his beautiful work. You've taken his paintbrush, you've taken that pot of clay, and you've refused to allow God to do his master beautiful work in you. And if that is you today, I encourage you to give yourself over and say, Jesus, I want to see you in me, in me and you. You may be here and just need to, to experience Jesus on that eternal level, give yourself to him. This is your time. I'm going to pray. Father God, you know our hearts. Don't let us hide behind anything other than you, Jesus. In this space, speak to us. If you want to pray with somebody around the room, there'll be pastors across the front, prayer partners. Just come and grab one of them and just say, hey, would you pray with me? This is your time and your space.